Awesome. How are we doing, church? So good to see everyone in the house this morning. Uh, we're currently in the middle of a sermon series called Paradigm Shift, and so I'm really, really excited uh, to be bringing the Word of the Lord for us this morning. Uh, a paradigm shift is a powerful thing. A paradigm could be a pattern. It could be a model. It could be a perspective. It could be a standard. It could be a set of ideas. It could be a way of looking at things. It's it's like the underlying belief of everything. It's like the underlying belief that anchors everything in your life. Your paradigm affects multiple things in your life. Uh, it affects your priority system. That which you view as important, uh, it stems from your paradigm. Uh, your response system, that which, uh, the way that you respond or react in, uh, to situations in life, that stems from a paradigm or a perspective or a belief that you have, the way that you process things that happen to you and around you uh, that stems from a paradigm that you have. Your decision-making, what you perceive as moral, uh, your stability, all of those things, they flow from the paradigm that you have, the belief system that you have, the perspective that you have. Now, the experiences that we have in life and all of the information that we are being exposed to all throughout our lives they help to develop the patterns and the perspectives and the standards and ideas that we may have that then cause us to step into a level of truth. Uh, now, the mistake that we often make is that we think that our pattern, our idea, our standard, our model, our perception of what we see in front of us is all there is to what is in front of us. There's a doctor by the name of Dr. Thomas Kuhn who uh, is credited for this uh, uh, concept called the paradigm shift and he used a particular image to explain what is meant by the term paradigm shift and I've asked the team to pull it down for us this morning and so I want you to look at this picture this morning and I want you to ask yourself what do I see what do I see some of you probably see a duck with the beaks on the sides some of you probably see a rabbit the beaks now become the ears some of you probably were able to see both. And some of you probably only saw one of those things until someone actually showed you how to view the picture. You see, the drawing didn't shift. The lines on the drawing, they ain't shifting, but your perception is shifting. The way that you saw the picture is now shifting. The image isn't dependent on the shift in your perspective, though, because whether, whether you see it or not, the rabbit is there, the duck is there. But in order to see both of those things, you need to have experienced what is called a paradigm shift or a shift in your perspective. A paradigm shift is a powerful thing, amen. A paradigm shift then means you are changing the pattern. You are changing the model. You are changing the way that you view something. You are changing the way that you look at something. You are changing the way that you think about something. It means your view is shifting. Your understanding is shifting. Your mindset is shifting. You can either complain because the rose bush has thorns or you can rejoice because the thorn bush has roses. Amen. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm in need of a major paradigm shift. Turn to the person next to you and say, get ready for a paradigm shift. Amen. The message that I want to share with us this morning is simply titled, what do you see? What do you see? I want to share this morning from the story of the 12 spies. Uh, they were being sent out to explore the land that God had promised the people of Israel. After years of bondage and slavery in Egypt, God then delivered the people of Israel 
out of the bondage, out of the slavery, and promised to bring them into a land that was flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And you see, the people of Israel, they weren't strangers to seeing the, the hand of the Lord at work. They had seen so many miracles. Uh, they saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw water flow from a rock. Uh, they saw manna feed a multitude of people. They saw the Amalekites being defeated. They had seen it all. And so God was good to them. God was faithful to them, uh, was faithful. And God had kept his promises to them. So on their way to the promised land, they come to this place called the wilderness of Paran, and it is there where they begin to camp. And the wilderness of Paran is right on the edges of Canaan, the promised land. In other words, the people of Israel were able to look across the river and see the land that God had promised their ancestors and them. They were positioned for victory. All they had to do was go in and take the land. All they had to do was go in and take Canaan. You see, the people of Israel, they knew all about Canaan because they had heard about Canaan through the word of God, through Moses. In Exodus 3 verse 8, it says this, uh, this is the Lord speaking, I have come down to rescue them, Israel, from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. This promised land, Canaan, was a land of their victory. It was the land where they could finally uh, be free. It was the land where they could finally rest. And so here they are at the doorstep of Canaan. And it is there where we uh, read of the story of the 12 spies. Numbers 13 verse 1 to 2, it's there in your notes. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. You see, God is saying, send 12 men to explore the land that I am giving to you. In other words, it's a done deal. You don't need to do nothing more but just to explore the land and survey the land. But the land, Israel, is yours. I am giving it to you. And so Moses sends out 12 men, and here's what he says. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops that you see. Simple job. Just get in there, survey the land, see what's happening in there, and come back with some facts. Tell us how it is. They go in, they explore the land, and they survey the land. And the Bible even says that they then cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so big that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. And so they come back to Moses and Aaron and all of Israel and they bring the report. And here's what they said. We entered the land that you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites lived in the Nage, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. At this point, the report is factual. It is exactly what we want to hear. State the facts. Just tell it like it is. Give us a good and proper report. But while they're giving the report, uh, one of the spies, Caleb, he then chimes in and he says, let's go at once and take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it but 
the other men who explored the land with him, they disagreed. Oh, we can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. They've gone from stating facts to stating opinion. And so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land that we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. First of all, if the land devoured anyone, how come y'all made it back? Second of all, you've gone from saying all the people living there are powerful, but the land devours anyone who lives here. Third of all, how do you even know that they thought of you or saw you as grasshoppers too? They've gone from stating facts to stating opinions. But the problem here is that they've begun to exaggerate their opinions. The story goes on and it says that the people of Israel began to weep and cry all night. They began to protest against Moses and Aaron. And they even started saying things like, oh, we should have just died in Egypt. We should have just died in slavery. We should have just died in bondage. We should have just died here in the wilderness. Uh, has God led us out here to die? And so Aaron and Moses fell face down on the ground before the people of Israel. But the two spies that also explored the land, Joshua and Caleb, they began to tear their clothes, and this is what they said. The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. The first thing I want to ask you this morning is, do you see an obstacle or do you see an opportunity? Do you see an obstacle or do you see an opportunity? You see, the people of Israel, they were going into Canaan. They were going into the promised land. It wasn't any of their idea. It wasn't Moses' idea. And they didn't just stumble upon Canaan. It was all part of God's plan. God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and promised to bring them to the promised land. When you follow God, when you pursue God, when you do the will of God, when you are being led of God, it don't necessarily mean that you are exempt from obstacles in life. No, the truth is, just like the Israelites, we will face obstacles in life. There will be challenges, there will be trials, but when God begins to use people to show His glory and His power, He didn't necessarily use comfort, He used discomfort. He used trials, he used challenges, he used obstacles. All throughout the Bible, we read of stories of people who faced obstacles in their lives that then became opportunities for them to grow in their faith as God's power was being put on display. I mean, if, we never, if they never faced a, a problem or an obstacle in their lives, I don't even think we would know their names. You see, Job lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his wealth, but he continued to put his trust in the Lord and his perseverance was rewarded. Joseph faced an obstacle. His brothers threw him in the, in the pit. They even sold him into slavery, but he went from the prison to the palace. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, three Hebrew boys, they refused to bow down to this gold statue that a king had made. They faced an obstacle because they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but their fiery furnace became an opportunity for them to grow in their faith, for God to display His glory and His power as He delivered the boys out of the fiery furnace. We may not be in control of what happens around us or to us, but we can control how we respond. You see, your response stems from the paradigm 
the perspective, the belief that you have. Your response is determined by the belief, the perception, the perspective, the perspective, the paradigm that you have. Do you see an obstacle or do you see an opportunity? A couple of weeks ago, I was standing in countdown and I had chicken and cheese in my hand and I was going over to buy it for lunch. And I'm standing behind this lady and she's got one of those little trolleys and it's looking quite full. But she gestures over to me and she says, oh, you go in front of me, you only got chicken and cheese in your hands. I was like, okay. But as I go to step in front of her, I felt God say to me, use the rest of your, use your change, use the rest of the money and pay for this woman's shopping. And so instead of having a paradigm shift, I began to have a paradigm fit. My paradigm is being challenged. Uh, my perception is being challenged. My experience is being challenged because in my mind, in my perception, in my perspective, and my experience, if you're standing here in line with the trolley that full, sis, you must have the coin to pay for your goods. But I'm having this internal battle with God, and I'm saying, you're not going to do this to me. You always do this to me. I'm not paying for her food. Like, you know, she's all good. She don't need my help. And I'm saying all of this because I see a problem. I'm looking at a situation that I don't like. I see an obstacle. I see a challenge. I see a hurdle. When God is out here saying, son, I see an opportunity. And so I'm like, okay, I get to the counter. I pay for my chicken and cheese. And then I say to the lady, hold the money and pay for that lady's goods. And so and I'm like trying to dash out of there and, and run away. And I get to the exit and then I hear someone hollering me down and shouting me down. And I turn around and it's the lady and she comes on over and she's crying. And she says, thank you. You have no idea, but I didn't have any money to pay for these goods. All I knew was that God said to me, go into countdown and begin to put what you need by faith into the trolley because I've already sent someone before you to pay for your goods. You see, and so we're standing there and my perspective has gone from a fit to a change. I'm having a, a, a paradigm shift. And so she's tearing up, I'm tearing up. We're both standing there and be, you know, we pray and then off we go. You see, I had eyes, but I couldn't see beyond my perspective. I was still trying to hold on to my perspective, still trying to hold on to my experience, my paradigm. I knew what I saw, but in that moment, I needed to see what God saw because what I saw was a limited view, but what God saw was a panoramic view. He already knew how this thing was gonna pan out. He saw the beginning all the way to the end. I saw an obstacle, but God wanted me to see an opportunity, an opportunity for me to grow my faith to step out into a level of truth. Truth that says that obedience is better than sacrifice. Truth that says that when you give, it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. Truth that says that with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. It was an opportunity for me to lean on God, to trust in God, to be less about me and more about blessing somebody else. Just as it was with the 10 spies, church, they only saw an obstacle, and that's exactly the devil's intention. He wants to try and keep you fixated on the obstacle. He wants you to be intimidated. He wants you to be afraid. He wants to keep you from entering Canaan. He wants to keep you from trusting God. He wants to keep you from growing your faith. He wants to keep you from becoming more and more like Jesus. But I came this morning to expose every lie of the enemy right now, and I say that where you see an obstacle, I'm declaring a paradigm shift. Because that obstacle is an opportunity for you to grow. That car that you've been trying to pay off, 
You're looking at it like it's an obstacle. It's not, it's not an obstacle, baby. It's an opportunity for you to, be, to learn to be better with your money. Uh, uh, that boss that you don't like down at your job, he's not an obstacle. He's an opportunity for you to grow in forgiveness, to grow in love. Your child that can't seem to settle inside the store, they're not an obstacle, ma. They're an opportunity for you to grow in patience. Tell me, what do you see? Do you see an obstacle or do you see an opportunity? The second thing I want to ask you this morning is, do you see yourself as a grasshopper or do you see yourself as a giant killer? You see, not long after Caleb pipes up and says, come on, let's take the land, 10 of the spies, they begin to cop out. They saw what Caleb saw. They confirmed the land was flowing with milk and honey. But instead of joining in with Caleb and affirming his, uh, his call to take the land, they cowered away. From stating facts, they started exaggerating their opinions. Ain't that funny? You know when someone is afraid of change or immediate action because they begin to exaggerate. They go from sharing facts to exaggerating their opinions. Suddenly, this land that was flowing with milk and honey was now a land that devours anyone who, who lives there. And this land that devours those who live there is now full of people who are of great size. How can the land flowing with milk and honey have people of great size and yet the land devour whoever goes to live there? You see, the real issue here is they could not see who they really were. The spies saw themselves as inferior and inadequate. They said, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look like the same to them. These spies looked at the giants and they said, you are so much bigger than we are. It had everything to do with how they saw themselves. Instead of seeing themselves as powerful in God, because they had already seen what God had done, they saw themselves as small, tiny, insignificant, and weak. They embraced this grasshopper mentality. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, but God wanted them to see themselves as giant killers. And so because they seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes, small, weak, inadequate, they began to act like grasshoppers, cower away, fear, hide. And so they would have been perceived as grasshoppers. They were defeated before they could even start. That's what the grasshopper mentality does, church. It defeats you before you can even start. Oh, I can't give towards that because the economy is bad right now. I can't take that job opportunity because I don't have a degree. Oh, they'll never accept me. I'm brown, they're white, I'm from the hood, they live in the boulevard. I'll never fit in. I'm a forklift driver and they're all in the office. You see, the grasshoppers will always have the facts. But whatever happened to waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness? Whatever happened to if God is for us, who can be against us? Whatever happened to uh, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord? You see, Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The majority saw the giants and they said, we are smaller than you are. But the minority saw the giants and they said, our God is bigger than you are. You got to be careful that these giants don't give you a grasshopper complex because that's what the devil wants. He wants you locked in a grasshopper 
paradigm so that you can't seem to shift out of the wilderness, out of the desert and into the promised land. But I came to remind you this morning, you are not a grasshopper church. You're a giant killer. You are the righteousness of God. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ. You are a child of God. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. That thing may have the size, but you've got the strength. That thing may have the physical advantage, but you've got the spiritual advantage. That thing may have everything but God, and you may have nothing but God. But you see, God plus one is the majority. When God called Gideon, Gideon had a grasshopper mindset. Me, I'm the least in my family. I only work at a wine press. But God wanted wanted him to see himself as a warrior. When God called Moses, Moses had a grasshopper mentality. I've got a speech impediment. I don't know what to say to the people. But God used Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. But sometimes God will allow giants to come into your life so that you can show them who the real grasshoppers are. That addiction that keeps popping up in your life, it's not a giant, it's nothing but a grasshopper. That temptation that keeps coming up in your life, it's not a giant, it's nothing but a grasshopper. That fear that keeps holding you back from stepping in to Canaan, it's nothing but a grasshopper. That voice that keeps telling you you're not good enough, it's nothing but a grasshopper. Tell me, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a grasshopper or do you see yourself as a giant killer? Third thing I want to ask you this morning is this. Do you see fear or do you see faith? It was fear that caused the 10 spies to not take the land that God had given to them. It was fear that caused all of Israel to listen to this bad report and not take the land that God had promised them. It was fear that caused a man named Elijah to go into hiding after hearing about all of the prophets of God that Jezebel had killed. It was fear that caused the disciples to stay on the boat when Jesus came walking on the water. But it was faith. Faith that caused Peter to step out of the boat of comfortability, the boat of experience, the boat of fixed mindset, the boat of religion, tradition, the boat of fear, and step into the, in the water of the unknown. Fear and faith, they cannot coexist with one another because fear is, faith is, the, fear is the lack of faith. But the Bible says that faith is being certain of what we do not see. It means it is the confidence that God is still working behind the scenes, even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it. And the only way, that is the faith that God desires for you to see. That is the faith that God desires to grow in us. And the only way that we grow in that faith is by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Church, the opinions of faithless people, that's not going to build your faith. The wisdom of man is not going to build your faith, church. It is the reading, the hearing, the studying, and the meditating on the Word of God that is going to build your faith. Just like it was with the spies and the Israelites, the devil's intention is to try and diminish the Word of God in your life. Because if he can keep you from hearing the Word of God, you will continue to see fear. You will continue to stay in the boat when God is wanting you to step out onto the water, you will continue to say no when God is wanting you to go. Earlier this year, Pastor Haley paid for me to jump off of the Manukau Harbor Bridge. And it was a birthday gift, but I didn't want to do it alone. And so I paid for someone else to do it with me. But we get there and we get to the top. And then the gentleman that's, you know, there, he says to us, um, are you all ready to go? And in that moment, 
all the stories of the jumps that had gone wrong came into my mind. And so I had a decision to make. Either allow these uh, stories, like grip onto these stories uh, and allow the stories to cause me to shrink back in fear and not do the bungee jump or loose my grip from these stories uh, and trust that the rope, that these guys knew what they were doing and trust that the rope was you know, strong enough to hold me up in the air. I had a choice to either see fear or see faith. You see, fear says no, but faith says go. Fear says impossible, but faith says with God, it's possible. Fear says what if, but faith says even if. Fear says worry about it, faith says worship through it. Fear says where will I find the money? Faith says God will supply all my needs. Fear says you're alone. Faith says I'm not alone. Fear says it depends on me. Faith says it depends on him. Fear says death wins, but faith says death is already defeated. Faith cancels out fear. And it's interesting, isn't it? The 12 spies go out to, you know, explore and survey the land and they go out as one team, but they come back and they're two teams now. You've got the majority and you've got the minority. All of these men went to the same place. They all traveled the same route. They all experienced the same view, but they saw two completely different things, two completely different paradigms. One saw the blessings, the other saw the burden. One saw the grapes, the other saw the giants. One saw the duck, the other saw the rabbit. One saw the obstacles, one saw the opportunities. One saw fear and the other saw faith. The difference between the majority and the minority was vision. Vision sees beyond what's in front of you. Vision sees ahead. Vision thinks about the future. Vision empowers you to overcome fear. Vision is the thing that gives purpose to your pain. You can have sight but not have vision. There's a quote that says, a man without vision is a man without a future and a man without a future will always return to his past. You see, when you don't have vision, you will always choose to take the easy way out. But the Bible says that where there is no vision, people perish. And this is why we need a paradigm shift, church. Because we're not out here trying to perish. We're not out here trying to take the easy way out. We're not out here trying to go around the same mountain. We're not out here trying to go back to Egypt. We've been delivered from Egypt. We're not out here trying to die in the wilderness. No, I'm trying to get to Canaan. And if it means I've got to come up against some giants, then come at me because you best believe that I'm coming prepared. I don't know what I'm, I don't know who I'm preaching to this morning, but those giants in your life, those obstacles, those challenges, those hurdles, those impossibilities that have been staring you in your face are not what they seem. You may see an obstacle, but God wants you to see an opportunity. You may see yourself as a grasshopper, but God wants you to see yourself as a giant killer. You may see yourself, you may see fear, but God wants you to see faith. If I can ask the team to join me. You see, the story goes on to say that the people of Israel chose to listen to the bad negative report of the 10 spies. They chose to disobey God and not trust God's word. And so for another 40 years, they wandered in the desert. A whole generation of people perished in the desert and they never got to see the promised land. All because they saw obstacles. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw fear. Their lack of vision led them to their destruction. Church, I don't want you to make the same mistake that the Israelites made. I don't want you to forfeit your Canaan, your place of victory, 
the place of rest, the place of God's blessing and settle for the wilderness. I don't want you to forfeit your Canaan and return to Egypt. And so the next time that you find yourself at the doorstep of opportunity, the next time you find yourself uh, at the at the Um, at the verge of a breakthrough, the next time you are confronted with an obstacle or a challenge or a circumstance, the next time that you are at the doorstep of Canaan, I want you to ask yourself, what do I see? And after you've stated all the facts, after you've told it like it is, after you've been real and honest about how you feel about what you see, you need to get ready to shift that thing because then you need to ask yourself, what does God want me to see? And you may ask me this morning, how do I know what God wants me to see? You've got to go to the Word of God. Learning to see what God sees involves replacing our wrong beliefs, our perspectives, our paradigms with the beliefs of God's Word. Anchor our thoughts on the unshakable Word of God. You see, you may look at your life and you may say, you know what, I see myself living for myself. I see no hope. I see no future. I see no point. But perhaps God wants you to see that a life in Him, there is purpose. A life with a life of hope, a life of future, a life that meant so much that He would leave the splendor of heaven to come down to earth so that you may have life and life abundantly. You may look at Christianity and you may see, I see religion, I see a set of rules. But perhaps God wants you to see a relationship, a relationship with Him that is all about grace. A relationship where you realize that God loves you unconditionally. You may look at your friendships and your relationships and you may say, I see myself as unlovable. I see that something is wrong with me. I see myself as needing improvement. But perhaps God wants you to see those relationships, those friendships as a gift. And so because of that, it takes the burden of self-improvement away. It takes away the feeling of needing to be perfect before you deserve a relationship. You may look at your finances and you you may say, I see a shortage. I see resources that are depleting. I see a deficit. But perhaps God wants you to see godly provision in spite of the shortage, an opportunity for you to trust in God, to put your faith in God, to provide for you. You may look at our community of Manadua and you may say, I see poverty. I see gang violence. I see domestic violence. But perhaps God wants us to see a people in need of a savior, a people far away from God, a people who are in need of healing, a people who need to be introduced to Jesus. How has your vision been lately? You see that story about the spies, it goes on to say that it doesn't just end there, but you see that man, Caleb, he never lost sight of the promised land. He only ever saw himself as a giant killer. He only ever saw opportunity. He only ever saw faith. And because of that, 45 years later, The people of Israel finally occupy the promised land. And here we have Caleb, an 85-year-old man. And this is what he says to Joshua. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel was wandered, uh, wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, 
I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. You see, the very obstacle that the 10 spies were afraid of, the very thing that caused Israel, the giants that caused Israel to forfeit Canaan, was now the very thing that Caleb is willing to conquer. But he realizes that he isn't able to do it on his own. It's only possible through God. And you see, that's what vision does. It sees the way God wants us to see. It sees opportunity instead of obstacle. It sees yourself as a giant killer instead of a grasshopper. It sees faith and not fear. With every head bowed this morning and every eye closed, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we thank you for reminding us that things aren't as they appear to the natural eye, that you are working in all things for your glory and for our good. Lord, I pray that this year we will be able to see things like never before. I pray for a paradigm shift in the way that we see things, that we will no longer accept the limitations of what our natural eyes see, that we will see right through the temporary things of this world. But we realize that apart from the power of Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, those things are impossible. And so I pray, O oh God, that you would heal our sight Open the eyes of our hearts, O oh God, so that we may see that which you want us to see. Father, I pray that you would begin to lift the scales of natural sight off of our eyes, that we would begin to see things through your eyes. We surrender ourselves. We yield ourselves. We submit ourselves. Holy Spirit, to your working, reveal to us, move through us, and do that which only you can do. We thank you, God, that as we place our trust, our hope, and our faith in you, we will continue to live a life of victory. We honor you and we love you, Lord. Amen.